I'm glad you're here. You know, Jesus told a story. Uh, one of the things that Jesus would do as he went and preached, he didn't just stand up and go, hey guys, I'm the Messiah, you need to follow me. He told stories or parables. And one of the parables he told was about a farmer that went out and he was throwing out seed to plant it so it would grow for his crops. And he was throwing seed and throwing seed. And some of the seed fell on the path and the birds came and ate it up. Some of the seed fell in really good ground. and it, I mean, it germinated and grew and produced lots of, lots of produce. Some of it fell on thorny ground and it grew, but there were weeds and thorns and thistles and stuff. And it just kind of got choked out. And some of it fell on this really shallow ground and it grew fast but when the sun got hot, it just didn't have deep roots and it just withered up and died. It just, just didn't make it. That is kind of the story, that, that dry ground, that withering ground of the book of Habakkuk. And that's what we're going to talk about today is Habakkuk. What it means to have faith in the darkness. What it means to be a person who lives like faith or lives by faith. Now, Habakkuk happens during the end of the southern kingdom. This is when he lived there. You remember there was the northern kingdom called Israel, the southern kingdom called Judah. The northern kingdom has been taken away by the Assyrians. They've been destroyed. They've been deported. They will never again exist as a nation like Judah exists. And Judah has, through the... Uh, faithfulness of a king named Hezekiah survived the attack of the Assyrians, but Judah has now become wicked. They've had some wicked kings, and as a, as a nation, they are just a very wicked, wicked group of people. And there's another nation that's going to come up and destroy them. It's the nation of Babylon. But at this period of time, Habakkuk doesn't know what's going to happen. All he knows is he looks around and he sees this world that he lives in and people are corrupt. I mean, it's, it's disgusting the things that go on in the nation of Israel. And Habakkuk's just fed up with it, a righteous person. You know, I think of Job, not Job, Lot, when he lived down in Sodom and Gomorrah and the Bible says that their wickedness vexed his righteous soul. That's the way Habakkuk was. He was just vexed. I mean, he was just frustrated. He just couldn't get along with what's going on. Now, Habakkuk is a very different prophet than most of the other prophets. Because usually the way a prophet worked is God would speak to them and say, you go and tell the people this. That's not the way the book of Habakkuk is. What this book is instead is this is a discourse or a discussion between this man Habakkuk and God. And Habakkuk has a complaint to lodge against God. Have you ever had a complaint against God? You ever thought God wasn't doing what He ought to do? You ever thought God ought to be taking care of something a little different? That's the way this book of Habakkuk works. And what Habakkuk learns and what Habakkuk, actually there's a passage here, a verse in Habakkuk chapter 2 that's quoted three times in the New Testament, just this one little passage. And the passage says this, the just shall live by faith. Have you ever heard that? 
Just people, righteous people, will live by their trust and their faith in God, and that trust and faith in God will cause them to be faithful to God. And that in a big picture is the idea that we're going to get out of this book of Habakkuk. But you look at that and you go, well, okay. I mean, that's good. Faithful people live by their faith in God. You're faithful, right? I mean, you came out to church this morning. You could have done something else. You're faithful today. You're faithful to the Lord. You believe in that. What's the big deal? The big deal is the problem of evil. It's easy to be faithful to God when He's doing the things you think He ought to do, right? It's easy to be faithful to God when He's delivering you from the fire. It's easy to be faithful to God when He's filling your life with blessings that are obvious and you can see. You you pray to God and the things that you desire are happening. But it's not so easy when we look at our world, we look at our life, and things just aren't what we wanted them to be. Things just aren't. Not only that, things aren't the way they should be. I mean, we look around, have y'all, y'all looked around at America recently, right? Is it going the way you think it ought to go? Are you happy with the way things are going? You happy with the news stories you hear? You like that? No, none of us like that. You look and you go, God, how could, how could this be? How could all this evil go on? Y'all know the story over at Paradise recently, the little girl that the FedEx truck driver hit and then got scared he was going to lose his job, so he killed a seven-year-old child? How does God let that stuff go on? And would you let that happen if you could stop it? You go, of course not. I wouldn't do that. Well, how could a loving, powerful God... Let stuff like that go on. That's the question that the book of Habakkuk deals with. And Habakkuk is this discourse between God and Habakkuk. Habakkuk challenging God and saying, This isn't fair. How are you letting this go on? And God's answer. So let's look at it. Habakkuk chapter 1. Habakkuk first off starts out and he says, God, look at Israel. It's wicked. Our rulers don't obey you. The law, the Torah, the law you gave us, the law of Moses, everyone just ignores it. Nobody pays any attention to it. And people cry out to you for help. He said, God, I call to you and I scream, Violence, God, violence! And you don't do anything. Did you just forget about us? Are we not on your radar anymore, God? Are you busy with other stuff? How can you just let this wickedness go on and do nothing about it? Do you ever think that? You ever look at stuff like that? Have you ever thought that? I've wondered about things like that before. How do you respond? So he challenges God. And... In the verses immediately following, God's answer to him is this. He says, oh, he says, I'm not doing nothing. 
He said, in fact, I'm doing an amazing thing that if I told you what I was doing, you wouldn't even believe me. He said, so here, let me pull back the curtain just a little bit and show you just a little bit of what's going to happen. You know the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, that bitter and hasty nation? They are wicked. These people were really bad. I mean, they would go in, they'd kill babies and women that were expecting. They would slaughter. They had no regard for anyone. They'd just sweep up nations. And they were powerful. I mean, they were the big boys on the block. They were wicked and evil and powerful. And God says, you know what? I'm going to get those people and I'm going to bring them down to Israel. And you talk about punishment. I am going to put it on Israel with those wicked people. I'm going to destroy Israel. And Habakkuk goes, oh, okay. (laughs) Think that's what he said? That's not what Habakkuk said. You know what? Habakkuk goes, no. (laughs) Are you kidding me? I don't believe it. Babylon's worse than Israel. God... Think about who you are. Think about your character. I mean, you're righteous and holy. You can't be in league with people like the Babylonians. I mean, they're worse. That would just make things even worse. How can you use evil, wicked people to punish people who aren't as wicked as they are? That doesn't make any sense, God. Come on now. Can you see the problem that Habakkuk had? Well, it just doesn't make any sense. How could a righteous, holy God get in league with these evil, wicked people and come punish His own people who are wicked but not as wicked as those people? How could God do that? And God then doesn't immediately reply. You would think the story would just... Habakkuk said this, and God said that, and Habakkuk said this, and God said, no. God just doesn't give him an answer. And Habakkuk says, oh yeah? He says, I tell you what, I'm not giving up. I'm going to go stand on a watchtower, and I'm not moving until I get an answer from God. And when I get this answer from God, when He corrects me, then I'll know. (laughs) Then I'll understand. Then I'll get it. But right now, I don't get it. I don't know how you could let wicked people destroy people who aren't as wicked as they are. I just don't get it. Finally, God does come to him in chapter 2 with his answer. And his answer is this. You know what? I'm going to use these wicked people to do my bidding. They are going to punish Israel. But... I want you to understand that just because I use their wickedness, I don't cause or condone their wickedness. And I will deal with them for their wickedness too, just like I'm going to deal with Israel. And he gives this explanation of the fact that God, although He doesn't condone or condemn the wickedness of the Babylonians, He will, being a sovereign God, use that to accomplish ultimately his purposes and that Habakkuk needs to understand 
and follow the teachings and the word that he says. And Habakkuk says this. He says, I understand now that the just will live by faith. You know, we have a tendency, all of us, to live by sight. Right? I mean, we respond to the things that we see, the things that happen to us, right? And we live that way. And when good stuff happens, we're on top of the... When bad stuff, ha stuff happens, we're on bottom of the world. But God says His people, the people who live by faith, they live by what God says, not by what they see. Now there's lots of examples in the Bible of that. Think about Abraham. God tells this 90-year-old man, you and your barren wife are going to have a baby. No, we're not. <laughs> that ain't going to happen. We hadn't been able to have a baby all these years now. I'm too old and she's too old and she was always barren. That ain't going to happen. That's not what Abraham said. You know what Abraham did? Abraham said, Sarah, get a nursery ready. <laughs> We're going to have a baby. He trusted God. Even though everything he could see said the opposite, when God said something different, he believed what God said instead of what he saw. And God's people all through Scripture are always those kind of people, those kind of people of faith. And then God, in His answer to Habakkuk, He says, I'm going to punish them, I'll punish Babylon for the wickedness that they are. He goes ahead and He gives a description of this nation of Babylon and the punishment that's going to befall them as a result of the wickedness in their life. And that's normally, if you read a commentary or something, called the five woes, okay? And it's called that because he says, Woe unto them. Woe means sorrow and discouragement and trouble. So let's look at this. First, he says to Babylon, he says, Those you plundered are going to plunder you. Look at this. Let's read the passage here. Woe to him who heaps up what is not his own and loads himself with pleasures or pledges. Will not your debtors suddenly arise and then you be spoiled for them? Because you have plundered many nations, all the remnant of the peoples shall plunder you. These people were thieves. They were raiders. They would go in and take a land. <coughs> Excuse me. And they would take the spoils. They would come in, and this is what they're going to do to Israel. They're going to come in and capture it. And then anything they want, they just take. They took everything. They took anything they wanted. Now that's unfathomable to us, isn't it? You know, we sit here with our, our uh, liberal, not liberal, our conservative, I don't know, our friendly pro-gun laws here in Texas. And anybody can carry a gun. And you may not, you know, you may be a bad dude, but don't you come to my house because I got a gun, you know, and you're not going to take my stuff. The, the idea that someone would come in and just take anything of ours they wanted and we couldn't do anything about it, that's unfathomable to us. We couldn't grasp what that would be like. But you know, in our world, there is stuff like that where people take advantage of other people. And, you know, here's a, just a couple of examples of that. The, the cash advance loan places, the legitimized loan sharks. 
that will loan you money when you're in a real bad jam, but they are going to charge you terrible interest. You're going to be in trouble if you use them. Or the buy here, pay here places that they make their money by selling you a car that they know you're going to have trouble affording, and when you miss a payment, they come take the car back from you and sell it to someone else and then do that over and over and over and over. People in this world take advantage of other people. Have you ever been taken advantage of? Anybody ever cheat you? Went to buy carpet one time for my house. Went to a carpet store and went in and the guy showed us the carpet and they had really good prices. And so I paid him and he said, the carpet, we'll order it and it'll be in Tuesday. And Tuesday I didn't hear anything, so I called the guy and he goes, yeah, they've had a problem at the mill. It's going to be, you know, next week. And so next week I wait and I don't hear from the guy and I call him. He goes, yeah, we're still working on it, but it is coming. And this went on for three or four weeks and finally I said, I got to go down there and talk to him. And I went down there and I went to the store and it was all locked up and they were gone. And he took my money knowing good and well that they were going out of business. And he took my money and he, he took advantage of me. Now, has anything like that ever happened to you? We've all, if you haven't had that experience, you will <laughs> at some point, sometime in your life. He said, don't take advantage of people. Don't do that. He said, because you take advantage of people, you put people in a bad spot, and then you take advantage because you've got the upper hand. That's wickedness, and God's not going to put up with it. You know what else he says about Babylon? He says, your ill-gotten gain won't protect you. Look what they said about the money that they made. He said, woe to him who gets evil gain for his house to set his nest on high, to be safe from the reach of harm. You have devised shame for your house by cutting off many peoples. You have forfeited your life. You know, your money is not going to protect you. The money you get from taking advantage of other people, he says to Babylon, he said, that won't protect you. Now, I know in America we look around and we go, well, he's a rich guy. He's going to get away with it, right? Isn't that kind of the attitude that people have? Rich people get away with stuff, right? Poor people don't. God says, the fact that you got a lot of money, do you think that can protect someone against God? You think having lots of money can protect you against God? Do you think Elon Musk can be protected against God by his $200 billion? Think so? We know that's not the case. You know, the president, the most powerful man in the world, right? He's not always going to be president. Ask Donald Trump. You're not always going to be president. The dictator Putin who runs Russia with an iron hand, right? He's not always going to run Russia. Your power, your money, your strength is nothing against God, he says to Babylon. Next thing he tells them, what you shed blood to build will be burned. He says, the stuff that you build by shedding blood, that's all just going to be burned. Look at this. Woe to him who builds a town with blood and founds a city on iniquity. Behold, it is not from the 
Is it not from the Lord of hosts that people labor merely for fire and nations weary themselves for nothing? He says, everything you're going to do is going to be burned up. Everything you get, all you're building, these nations that are expanding like Babylon was, he says, you may go and you may sweep up all these people in your nets and destroy them all. And He said, all you're doing is making firewood for me. That's it. And your house is going to burn. You're not going to have great strength. Because every... Have you ever done something that you really spent time on and then something went wrong with it and it, you just had wasted all your time? Have you ever done that? I have wasted time trying to do some, trying to accomplish something. And you work and you work and you work at it and then pfft, it just doesn't work. I saw a video the other day of some guy who was doing some woodworking and he was trying to make this round thing and he kept trying and it kept breaking and kept finally he just smashed it because he was so frustrated because he just wasted all of his time trying to do this thing. That's what God says to Babylon about their nation building. He said, you're just making firewood for me. You may feel like you're accomplishing great things, but you're not. Next, he says, excess alcohol will shame and destroy you. He says this, Woe to him who makes his neighbors drink. You pour out your wrath and make them drunk. You will have your fill of shame instead of glory. Now they were using alcohol to get people drunk and take advantage of them. Once again, they're taking advantage of folks. But the idea here is this. Alcohol is not going to bring glory. It's going to bring shame. Have you ever known anyone who used alcohol and it brought them glory? Have you ever seen that? No, it doesn't bring glory. It brings shame. And he says, if you use alcohol, you say, now wait a minute, preacher. There's not a verse in the Bible that says you shall not get, or you, it's, you shall not get drunk, is in there. You shall not drink a beer, or you shall not have a glass of wine. You can't read anything like that. No, I can't. But I can tell you this, the Bible is full of, of warnings about how alcohol will deceive you and it will bring you to shame and it will not bring you to glory. Some of you know that from your own experiences. Alcohol is a problem and God says you're going to have your fill of shame because of the way that they abused alcohol. And finally, he says, your lifeless idols will not save you. This is probably my favorite passage about idols in the whole Bible. He says this. Listen to this description. What profit is an idol when its maker has shaped it? A metal image, a teacher of lies. For its maker trusts in his own creation when he makes speechless idols. Woe to him who says to a wooden thing, Awake to a silent stone, Arise! Can this teach? Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver, but there's no breath in it. He says, isn't it ridiculous for someone to carve a piece of wood or chisel out a piece of stone into an image and then turn around and worship what you made? Like that thing has some power. So that's ridiculous. 
There is no power in images. There's no power. You know, when I was a kid, people used to carry around a rabbit's foot. That's probably not PC to do anymore, is it? Okay? A lucky rabbit's foot. Is there anything lucky about a rabbit's foot? Not to the rabbit for sure, right? A horseshoe? Is horseshoe lucky? A little medallion there, St. Christopher medallion? Is there some power in some? You know, someone made that. Some person made He says, it's, it's silly for an intelligent human being to think that something created by a human being has some power over human beings. It doesn't make any sense. And he says, Babylon, they were a land of idolatry. He says, your idols, they're just rocks and wood. I'm the only living God. I'm the only one who exists. He said, there's no breath in it. It's not, it can't move. That's all it does is just sit there. Now, these are his five woes. So remember the story. God, Israel's wicked. How can you let it go on? Oh, I'm going to punish them. No, God, don't use Babylon. They're too wicked. You can't do that. Oh, yes, I'm going to do that, but I am going to punish Babylon for all of their wickedness and all these five woes. The last chapter of the book of Habakkuk is a prayer then. And the way this book is written... Really, the whole point of the whole book is the last couple of verses in the whole book. All of it is just leading up to this conclusion of Habakkuk. So Habakkuk is gone and he's waited on his watchtower. And he has, like Job, put me before God and he will answer me. And he has waited for the answer and he has gotten the answer. And so this last chapter is a prayer that Habakkuk says... And Habakkuk, in this prayer, says basically three things. Number one, he says, do it quick. <laughs> do it quick, God. Please. You're going to bring in destruction on the wickedness by other wickedness, <coughs> and then you're going to destroy them. Let's get this party started. Let's get it over with. Hurry up. I want to see this in my lifetime. <clears throat> you ever known someone who said, I just want to live until I see X. I just want to live until I see this happen. That's what Habakkuk says. I just want to see it in my lifetime. And then he begins to talk about God's anger and God's power. And he describes it very much like when the children of Israel came out of Egyptian bondage and they came to the mountain, Mount Sinai, where they were going to get the law. And remember, they come up to the mountain and there's lightning and there's thunder and there's quake. It's just this real ominous, powerful scene. And he describes God in that way and he says, Now I understand. I understand there's stuff going on I had no idea was going on. I understand that you are preparing to deal with this. And I understand that your wrath is going to be fierce and it's going to be terrible and that there is no place to hide, that you are a God who will deal with the wickedness. You will by no means excuse the guilty. I understand that and I know that now. 
And I want it to happen in my lifetime. I want the wickedness to be punished. And I want the righteousness to reign in the world. And then he concludes by saying, So I will quietly wait. Now he's not up on his watchtower demanding an answer from God now. He says, You know what? I've learned to live by faith. I look around and I see wickedness. I see the Babylonians are even worse than that. But I don't live by what I see. I live by what God said. And I'm going to wait. I'm going to trust. I'm going to believe that what God says is going to happen even if I don't see it in my lifetime. Even if I never experienced that. You know, one of the things I used to do when I would travel around a lot and I was younger and talk to kids a lot, the young kids especially, I'd ask them, what's your favorite Bible story? And I'd always get stuff like, oh, Queen Esther or Samson or, you know, one of these great Bible stories like the lion's den. And no one ever told me that Isaac was their favorite Bible story. Isaac? Why would Isaac be anyone's favorite? Nothing happens. Have you read the story of Isaac's life? I mean, nothing happens. And at the end of his life, he's there standing faithful to God. I hadn't seen him move the whole of my life, but you know what, God? You said it, and that's the way it is. I believe it because you said it. And that's this faith. I want to read the last few verses with you here. He says, even if the fig tree does not bloom and the vines have no grapes, even if the olive tree fails to produce and the fields yield no food, even if the sheep pen is empty and the stalls have no cattle, he says, everything I'm trying to do is failing. Even if everything fails, everything I plant, nothing grows. Every, all of my crops They all die. All of my livestock, they're gone. Even if everything I seek for and have committed myself to trying to accomplish in this life falls flat and it all fails, even if that's the case, even then, I will be happy with the Lord. I will truly find joy in God who saves me. The Lord God Almighty is my strength. Even if I see nothing, even if everything that I hope for and dream for fails, even if that happens, even then, I will rejoice in the Lord. I'm going to have joy in God because I trust in Him. He is my strength. Now, what are some lessons we can draw from this? Number one, don't take advantage of anyone. God doesn't look kindly on people who take advantage of folks. And it doesn't have to be on some massive scale like one nation taking over another nation. It doesn't have to be on a big scale like that. In your life, is there someone you have power over at all in any way? Don't take advantage of those people. Don't take advantage of other people. Number two, money will not protect you. Money, power, this world's goods, they won't protect you. 
I uh, knew a man one time that had Alzheimer's, and uh, he, he was just early on. I mean, he had just found out that he had Alzheimer's. And I preached at that church, and he and his wife invited me to their home for lunch, and so I went and ate lunch with them. And After the meal, he followed me out of the house out to my car to leave. And he said, Michael, you know I've got Alzheimer's. I said, yeah, I know, I know I've heard that. And he said, you know, when I was a young man, he said, all I cared about was making money. And he said, I was good at it. And he was, he was a very wealthy man. He said, I made lots of money. And he said, you know, the only thing that's done is it's made my kids hate each other and fight over the money. And he said, you know, the truth is, I can't add one day to my life with my money. I can't do it. I've never forgotten that conversation. And he had the fast-moving Alzheimer's, and he died not long after that. The reality is this world's goods will not protect us. Thirdly, earthly accomplishments won't last. It doesn't matter what you accomplish. Even if you become president, you won't always be president. No matter what you accomplish, someone else is going to come along later. You know, when I was young, nobody ever thought there'd be anyone greater than Michael Jordan. And here comes LeBron James, and now there's the big debate. You might, well, we know Michael Jordan's still better. I don't know. I see some yes heads go. But the reality is somebody else is going to come along. Whatever you accomplish is just temporary. It's going to be here for a while and it's going to go. Don't invest your life in worldly accomplishments. Number four, alcohol is not your friend. It's not a good way to take the edge off the day. Alcohol is something that should be used very carefully. And through Scripture, the only time I can find it being used in a positive way is medicinally. Now, I'm not going to say it's a sin to drink a beer, but I am going to say that it's not your friend. It won't make you glorious. It'll, make, it'll bring shame into your life. Number five, there's only one true God. There is no power other than Him. There is no real power in these other gods. These people that, that are worshipped all over the world, there's no power in that. There's only power in the one true and living God. And now, the big lesson. The one big lesson that you get out of the book of Habakkuk is this. The experience of evil can challenge your faith. When you experience evil, it can make you go, Why, God? Why? Most of us have been through something or will go through something or are going through something right now. And I want you to know, it's not evil or wrong to ask God why. It's not evil or wrong to question. Even Jesus, as He hung on the cross, said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's not wrong to seek to understand what you don't understand. But even in the midst of that, the solution is to trust God and wait. When you say, why God? I don't believe if we all decided we're going to pray for our nation and pray that God will punish the wickedness in America and give us 
you know, back, <clears throat> as I heard somebody say the other day, push the reset button on America, you know, and reset us back to what it used to be. That's, I don't believe that's going to happen, but even if we were to pray to God for that to happen, I don't believe he's going to pop up here next Sunday and go, okay, listen, guys, here's what I'm going to do. I don't think he's going to answer us that way. But I do know this. He's still the same God. He still is interested in your life, in you. He loved you enough to send His Son to die for you. And God does care about the heartache and the evil and the trouble that you face. And you may not see His answers. You may look around and go, evil is winning and good is not. But that's just because you and I can't see beyond what we can see. We can't see the way God sees. We don't know what God is doing. And I want to say it's okay to have questions and it's okay to have your faith challenged. As long as your end result is to say, you know what? If all my crops die and all my animals die and I got nothing, I'm going to get my joy in the Lord because I trust Him. And that's how the just live by faith. I hope you've been motivated and encouraged by our series. And I hope that when you face the problem of evil in your own life, you know, this can really be a, a game changer for some people. About a year and a half ago, Matt and Yancey and I sat in Matt's living room with a young man who told us he was no longer a Christian and he was abandoning his faith. And we said, why? And he said, because the problem of evil because there's evil in this world and I just can't serve a God who would let evil go on. And he gave up his faith and his soul over that. Don't do that. When times are hard, when you face the fire, know that you have a powerful and living God who is working in ways that you just can't see and stand with Habakkuk and go, even if I see nothing, I see God. And I'm going to live by faith in what he says. If the church can be of any spiritual help to you today, if you have a matter to bring before the church, we do offer this song of invitation. If you'll come to the front while we stand and sing.